Okay, so this is part two of our current event and weekly Bible study for November 11th, 2007. And we're continuing with part two on our study of the, co- the major causes of Israel's afflictions, the Jews and Gentiles from Jesus Christ till Revelation. Okay, so we ended with the um, fifth rejection of Jesus Christ in Matthew 27. And... Um, when they said, and then answered all the people and said, His blood be upon us and our children. This was the fifth rejection. Now the number five, there was five rejections here in this particular portion of Scripture. The number five can symbolize either death or grace Okay, in the Bible. Now I don't want to get too much into numerology, but I thought it was an interesting point that there was five rejections here. In this case, these Jews chose death. But the grace was available to them had they accepted Jesus Christ. It's ironic, because five can stand for either death or grace. Okay, in the Bible, as far as symbolically. The consequences of this cry to crucify the Son of God have been horrifying for the Jews as a people ever since. Just look at the history of the Jews since they uttered that cry. Look at, I mean, you know, the dispersion, uh, how they've been persecuted throughout all these, these um, centuries, the Holocaust at the hands of Hitler. I mean, you know, you could go on and on. From the second temple in Jerusalem being destroyed by Titus in 70 AD to the Jewish Holocaust in World War II, the Jews have paid a tremendous price for demanding, quote, His blood be upon us and our children, end of quote. And and John Hagee would have you believe that none of this evidently ever happened. Now, I'm not holding the Jews to a higher accountability than I would try to hold myself. If, if I had done such a thing, I would be just as guilty. I'm not trying to go out of my way to condemn them and say, oh, I'm better. Okay, I'm just trying to point out biblical facts here. In confronting his rejection at the hands of his own people, Christ makes it clear that the Jews' rejection of him entails more than it seems. By rejecting Christ, the Jews also rejecting, rejected Moses, in other words, their entire religion as well. And then, and then in, um, let's see here, in, uh, it says, Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father, Christ told the Jews who rejected him. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. See, the very person they said they were trusted in, which was Moses and the law, he's going to be the very one accusing them. Isn't that ironic? And this is right, right from Jesus Christ's mouth here. Then, he, then Jesus goes on to say, For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Well, where? Well, how about all the prophecies Jesus Christ fulfilled, the 456 that we talked about last week? On the day he died alone, there was like 30. And we talked about the probability of that happening, and it gets into numbers that there's not, there's not that many atoms in the universe. Atoms. Okay, so... You know, and that's just what I think, I don't know, like 40 or 50 of the prophecies, not the 456 that he fulfilled. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed in me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how should you believe my words? So see, they say, these religious Pharisees and Sadducees say that they're strict and they go by the Bible and all this other stuff. But they don't even believe the very Bible they claim to, you know, follow. They don't believe it. The Jewish mob asked that Jesus' blood be upon them and their children if they had only realized what they were truly asking for. 
This is the same blood that cleansed every sin from all mankind that would receive his free gift. The Bible says in Romans 5.9, much more now, much more then, being now justified by his blood. That's how we're justified. That's how we're made just. Was we're just that's how we're made just before the Lord. Not by works of righteousness, or, or we say, but according to his mercy, he saved us. His death, burial, resurrection, his, the, his precious blood he shed on the cross of Calvary is what paid our sin debt. Much more than, Romans 5.9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him, through Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, they chose, they chose the blood of Jesus Christ to be upon them as a testimony and proof of their rejection of him. Not of, not of the salvation. Isn't this kind of interesting uh, how ironic all of this is? Jesus had prophesied his own death, speaking in Matthew 21. Now, before we do that, let's look at, um, let's look at Acts, verse 3, verse 12. This is just a little more confirmation. Uh, I'm going to go there myself. Acts 3, verse 12. I, I want to give a lot of confirmation of this. I mean, from Jesus Christ himself, all the way... You know, into the uh, into the New Testament. Okay, so Acts three, verse twelve here, and uh, this is entitled Peter's second sermon. And Peter saw it. He answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Now, this is after Jesus Christ was was crucified and rose again after Pentecost. Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? So they had seen a miracle, and these, these men of Israel marveling, but, they're, but the, what they're wanting to try to make these people see is it wasn't of their own power that this man was made to walk. Remember, God will share his glory with no one. All these supposed televangelists that get up there and supposedly do these faith healings and all this other stuff, which the vast majority of time is a bogus hoax. If there is anything that ever takes place, though, so much of the time, what is it doing? It's, it's elevating the man. It's elevating the ministry. That's a whole other sermon, but that's a mess, though. You know, all that, that stuff that goes on. Verse 13, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate. It says it right here. This is Peter reiterating this. Whom ye delivered up. Who? The Jews. Whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Even Peter is defending Pilate here. He said he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. Isn't this just a reiteration of what we just read? But it's a confirmation. It's a reiteration and a confirmation. Verse 14, But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. Verse 15, And killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name, through faith, in his name, hath made this man strong, which ye see and know. This is the man that was healed. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of, of 
you all. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance he did it, as I did also your as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had sh- had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come in the presence of the Lord. Now, he is indicting this person, these people, but at the same time, he's giving them another chance. Even though they crucified Jesus Christ, here they're being offered a second chance. He's saying, okay, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. You did it through ignorance. Okay? But he's saying, what is he saying? What's the first thing he says? Repent. Repent. Ye therefore, and be converted. See, this is a absolute prerequisite to salvation, is repentance of sin. Yes, it's a free a gift you freely receive or freely reject, but the part of this package is, is repenting of your sins. Being willing to turn from sin. Does it mean you're going to all of a sudden start living in sinless perfection? No. But, in your life, after you get saved, you should strive to live in a repentant way and and strive toward not sinning, okay? Through the power of the Holy Spirit that now lives inside you as a born-again Christian. So he says, repent ye therefore and be converted. What What would be one of the first things they'd have to repent about? Well, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, I'd say. And then, you know, obviously other sins. And be converted... So repentance is the first thing, and then be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Because you're only going to get your sins blotted out through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. That's what the Bible says. That's why in Old Testament Levitical law, they had to, you know, the blood of goats and sheep and bulls, but they can never do what the blood of Jesus Christ did once and for all. And when he died on the cross, he says, it is finished. We don't got to keep re-crucifying Jesus Christ like the Catholics do every week. Through their through their uh, Catholic communion host, and through um, the doctrine of what they term as transubstantiation, where they believe their priests have the power to turn the wafer and the wine into the literal, and I don't mean figurative, the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's an abomination. That's called crucifying the Son of God afresh, or attempting to crucify the Son of God afresh, as it occur as it is talked about in Hebrews. That's an abomination, pit of God. From the pit of hell, I'm sorry. It's abomination. It's wrong. It's bad doctrine. It's not. It, Jesus Christ paid it all. His sin debt set us. Uh, the the price he paid for us is done. It's finished. It's over. Okay, we don't have to keep doing this over and over again, like the Catholics do. So this is something that's very very important. So it says in verse 19, repent ye therefore. And be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So this is a good confirmation verse to kind of reiterate what we're talking about here. Now if we go further, in Matthew 21, Matthew 21 verse 33, Jesus had prophesied his own death. Speaking of Matthew 21, here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a winepress in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. Now the husbandmen in this parable is symbolic of the Jewish 
high religious officials, and to a lesser extent, the multitudes of Jews they controlled. Okay, you're going to see why that is in a second. Okay? Symbolic of that. Now, if they... This didn't have to be a bad thing. This, this didn't have to be a, a thing that was bad. Moses was essentially would be considered the first husbandman. He was the one through whom which the law was given to the Jews under Old Testament Levitical law. Verse 34, And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen, that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants, and beat one, and killed another, and stoned another. Wasn't that what the Bible was just saying here in, in Matthew 27, that thou that killest the prophets and stonest them? And Isn't that what Jesus was saying to the scribes and the Pharisees? Well, that's a confirmation here. And the husbandmen took his servants, and beat one, and killed another, and stoned another. Verse 36, Matthew 21. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. Isn't that what happened all throughout the Old Testament? They killed the prophets, they stoned, you know, this happened, okay? And again, in Matthew 23, verses 34 and 35, it says, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them ye shall scourge in your synagogues, and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel, unto the blood of Zacchaeus, son of Barachus. Okay, that was straight from Jesus Christ. Verse, going back to Matthew 21, um, okay, no, actually, um, Matthew 21, verse 37, going back to this parable that Jesus was giving them. Let's read verse 35 again. And the husbandman took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Verse 37. But the last of all, but last of all he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. Now this is symbolic of Father God in heaven, sending Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb, the Bible refers to him as the perfect lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. The Bible says all things were made by him, and without, any, and without him was not anything made that was made. Father God is sending Jesus Christ, his son. And it says in Matthew 21, verse 37, But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son, symbolic of Jesus Christ. Next verse. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. Isn't that exactly what happened to Jesus Christ, if you think about it? Why? Out of envy? Isn't that what, why they said they crucified? Out of envy. That sounds like an envious thing to me. When the husbandmen saw the son, they said among This heir, come, let us kill him. That's what happened to Jesus Christ. He came to his own, and his own received him not. Let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. They envied his inheritance. They knew deep down he was the Son of God. How are you going to get Jesus Christ's inheritance? The only way you're going to get Jesus Christ's inheritance is if you get saved. And I mean that from the standpoint of when, you, when this whole life's said and done, and we're up in heaven with him, in these types of things, okay? And I, I don't mean you would ever do that out of envy, but I'm saying they were, they were jealous. They were envious of, of, of him. Matthew 21, verse 39, And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. Hmm, isn't that what they did? They cast him out of the vineyard and they slew him? 
took him outside the city wall and crucified him. Maybe you could re- refer to Jerusalem, maybe in this case as the vineyard. They took him out of there and they slew him. They killed him. At Golgotha. Verse 40. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? We're going to talk about that. They caught him. Oh, um, verse 41. They said unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men. That's what, that's what the Bible says is going to happen. And let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. This is symbolic of the emphasis shifting more over to the Gentile race. Does that mean I think I'm better, and I think all of Israel's promises apply to the Gentiles? No! I'm not going to go there either. I'm not going to get into that British Israelism, or whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to go there either. Okay? Again, we just want to have balance, because this is a source of pride for many so-called would-be Christians. Oh, well, those wicked Jews... All this, uh, they forfeited all their promises and, and, all, and all their promises apply to me now. Okay, well now you're going to have to ignore a whole other set of scriptures that we're going to talk about shortly. That's not the case either. Okay, so don't get full of pride on that. It's just people just want to get full of pride about wherever position they think that they possess in whatever respect of religion that they're in. It's just such a... I'm telling you, it's the, it's the worst thing there is, is pride. Verse 42, Matthew 21, verse 42. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. He was the stone the builders rejected. His own people rejected him. He came to his own, and his own received him not. John 1. Matthew 21, verse 43 then says, Therefore say I unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you. He says it right here. He's talking to the Jews. Jesus said, The kingdom of God shall be taken from among you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. These are the Gentile nations. Particularly this is manifested, I I believe, mostly through America. As far as the missionaries that we've put out. And I I think America is a, you know, obviously, (laughs) we're about as bad as it gets currently. But I'm talking about historically. I think America's probably been used like no other nation in order to spread the gospel and these types of things. Unfortunately, America's been so leavened. So the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. This nation really being the born-again believers who follow Christ. Because I don't even you really don't even want to put a... <clears throat> label as far as American or whatever. It's really the born again people within the nations. Okay? Now, says it right here. And he predicted the kingdom of God will be taken. Now, that's why the Bible says blindness in part is happening to the Jew until the fullness of the Gentile come in. Okay? It doesn't mean that Jews can't be saved, but I'm saying for the most part they're blinded. Where's another confirmation of this? In Acts 18, verse 5, Acts 18, verse 5, this is Paul, uh, talking about Paul, and when Silas and, and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ, or the Messiah. That's what Paul said. Verse 6, Acts 18, verse 6, And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, 
he shook his raiment, and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. He says it right there. What does John Hagee do with this verse? Again, he goes, you know, to the Jews. It says right here. He says Jesus was Christ. Now this is after Jesus has been crucified. Well, unfortunately, for the most part, obviously they didn't have a change of heart. It says they opposed themselves and blasphemed. What was his response? He shook us raiment. I mean, the Bible talks about if they receive not your words, if, if, their words are, if your words are true, shake the dust off your feet as a witness against them. This is what he was doing. He shook us raiment and said, Your blood be upon your own heads. What does this kind of imply to? Well, Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 33, where it talks about the watchman, if he sees the sword coming on the city and he warned not the city, and those people perish, their blood will be required at the watchman's hand. But if he warns them, and they don't do anything about it, he will be innocent of their blood. Well, this is a big reason why I do what I do. Because I've been shown much, and the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required, and I feel as though it's my duty in order to warn people of what's coming. And, um, you know, I, I do this partly out of fear of the Lord. I really do. I, I really want to do it. But partly out of fear of the Lord, because I believe I have an obligation to do this because of what I've been shown. So, um, he says, your blood... See, he tried to be a watchman to them. But he says, you've rejected Jesus Christ. Your blood be upon your own heads. And they asked for the blood of Jesus Christ to be upon them and their children in a negative way. We, we saw that. He says, I am clean from henceforth I will go into the Gentiles. Somewhat of a turning point there. Okay? Remember, the Bible says to the Jew first and then to the Greek. To the Jew first and then to the Greek. Well, what is that? How did that play out in Scripture? Well, Jesus came to His own and His own received Him not. He came primarily to His own people. His own people received Him not. It finally got to a point where the emphasis then started to shift over to the Gentile. Let's confirm this even further. Acts 6, verse 8. Acts 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, Stephen was essentially considered the first martyr. And he's one of my favorite people in particularly the New Testament. If not, you know, I mean, this is amazing. So, and Stephen full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then arose certain of the synagogue. Oh, isn't that how it always goes in the, in the, in the New Testament? And then arose certain of the synagogue. What does that imply? The religious Jews, you know? Okay. Which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, the Cyrenians, and the Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. There were a lot of people that were disputing with him. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. See, the spirit by which he spake was the Holy Spirit. And it didn't matter if there was a thousand of them. They still couldn't resist or overcome the Holy Spirit that lived inside him that was talking through him and working through him. It wasn't, it wasn't Stephen. This wasn't about Stephen. This was about him yielding the Holy Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit speak through him. 
verse 10, Acts 6, verse 10, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. They then suborned men which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came unto... Isn't this what they did when they crucified Jesus? Always stirring something up. Always stirring the pot. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. This is Stephen they brought before the council. And set up false witnesses which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it has been the face of an angel. Woohoo! You know why? Same reason Moses' face was that of an angel. When he had to wear a veil over his face after he'd spent all that time with God. Because he spent so much time with God, Stephen did, that his face shone like the face of an angel. That's the only reason that could be. Any other reason would give Stephen the glory. But when you spend that much time with God, and you're that close to, to the Lord, it will change you. In this case, it was really, really changing. I mean, this, this guy was really close with the Lord. He had to be. That's pretty cool. They saw his face as it had been the face of an angel? <laughs> Man. That's awesome. Um, Acts 7 verse 1, Then said the high priest, Are these things so? And he said, and this is Stephen talking, and he said, Men and brethren and fathers, hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Sharon. Now let's skip ahead to verse 36, because if I go through this whole chapter, we're, we're not going to get through this study. He brought them out after they had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, Prophet, shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in Mount Sinai, and with our fathers, who received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom the fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again unto Egypt. So this is talking about, you know, Moses and, and how they ultimately ended up, you know, rebelling. Verse 40, saying unto Aaron, make us gods to go before us, for as this Moses which brought us out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. So their faith had already failed just because Moses had been up on the mountain spending some time with the Lord. This is while the, the Ten Commandments were being um, created. And their faith, See, you got to understand, they, just, they, they had been in Egypt. They just came out of Egypt. Yes, they saw all these mighty miracles and stuff, but they still had a lot of Egypt in them. This is why that whole race had to be basically destroyed in the wilderness. Because so much damage had been done from all the generational witchcraft baggage they picked up in Egypt that they weren't capable, evidently, of repenting properly. Why else did God, would God have had to let them die in the wilderness? It's the only reason I can really see. So, if we go further, and they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifices unto the idol and rejoiced in their works of their own hands. Now, I'm saying all this for a reason. Because this is an indictment against the Jewish nation. Right? 
Well, the same indictment comes around at the end of this indictment against the current Jewish administration, which was the same one that crucified Jesus Christ. What he's basically trying to do, Stephen's trying to do, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is, is show them that you haven't changed a bit. The same stuff you were doing back in the wilderness, you're still doing now. You're no different. This is, this is, the, this is the reason he's going and saying all this. So, he says, Saying unto Aaron, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses, we brought us out of the land of Egypt. We want not what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. <clears throat> now, that was probably Baal worship. Baal is associated many times with the bull or the calf and these types of things. They had picked this up in Egypt. God sure hadn't shown him. <laughs> okay? He hadn't, he hadn't told him to do this stuff. But when you spend a lot of time in Egypt or in the world, you're going to pick up on what they're doing. And it's going to become part of your life. This is what had happened to them. Then God turned and gave them to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of prophets, Ye, O house of Israel, ye have offered to me slain beasts and sacrificed by the space of forty years in the wilderness. Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Rempham. Now, we talked about the star of your god Rempham. I've heard some people say that this is the five-pointed star. It's the six-pointed star. It's the hexagram. It's the current symbol on the Israeli flag right now. And if you doubt that, please... Not only listen to my two teachings on the hexagram, on, on um, Sermons Audio, but look at the PDF. Look at the PDF that goes along with it, where you can actually view pictures of this, and get visual confirmation. So it's saying here, you took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Remphan. This is, this is to the Jewish people as a race. Figures which ye made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. And that's what ended up happening when Nebuchadnezzar came and took them, and then the times of the Gentiles started. And then, Stephen says in verse 51, Acts 7 verse 51, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and in ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. See, he said all that to say this. He said all that to say, I haven't changed a bit. He's calling them stiff-necked. They're stubborn. They're like a goat or a mule. They're stubborn. Rebellion is a, as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is like as, as adultery. I mean, we're talking, this is not good. Ye always do resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did. So do ye. Now, hold on. Stephen wasn't being nice and politically correct here now. I don't know if John Higgy's going to like this. Well, we'll just, you know, we know what John does with verses like these. He ignores them. Just ignores them. As though they don't exist. Or maybe he reads enough of a watered-down version where you can't even get this take on it. Because the Bible he reads is so leavened. I don't know. I just think he doesn't even get into it. So, verse 52. Stephen talking. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of coming of the just one. Of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. They've been the betrayers and murderers of the just one. Jesus Christ is what he's saying here. Who have received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it. 
So, in other words, they said, oh, we follow the law. They, they weren't following the law. They weren't even following the very thing they said they were following. They're kidding themselves. Verse 54, when they heard these things, these were, the, these were all the people, the, all the high priest guys and all the multitude that had come against him. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. What is this? This is the demons coming to the surface. This is the demons that were possessing these people, or heavily oppressing these people, inciting these people to get real, real angry. The same thing happened when Jesus Christ got crucified. They got more and more angry as Pilate kept offering them more and more angry. Verse 55, regarding Stephen. But he, being Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven. And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. <laughs> Praise the Lord, man. That is awesome. <laughs> That's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Can you imagine that? I mean, there'd be no fear in death. There'd be no fear in death. You're sitting there, yeah, they're going to kill you. Praise the Lord. I'm out of here. I mean, you're looking up into heaven and you're seeing Jesus. But see, he was so close with Jesus Christ that this wasn't... This was a reward. I mean, yeah, they killed him, but I don't even think he suffered. I really don't. I mean, by, by the account of this, I don't think he suffered. And there was a lot of martyrs that went and were burned at the cross, and they didn't feel the flames. There was accounts of martyrs in Fox's Book of Martyrs where they would actually put their hand in, in like, this one guy put his hand in the candle prior to being burned at the stake, and all those other guys were around him, and he didn't feel it. They could be burned to a crisp. Now, could you imagine what a witness that would be? You're being burned to a crisp. And you're witnessing and you're not feeling the flames. Now that would get somebody's attention. I would think. Do you know any Satanists that would have that kind of conviction to go and be burned at the stake and witness for Satan? Or any Catholics? I don't think so. I don't think so. They would not have it because only God can bestow that type of strength and that type of protection, even in death. So... Just understand, have the faith that that can happen. A lot of times people think, oh, I'm going to die some horrific death and all this other stuff. Well, there's no faith in that. There's not a shred of faith if you say, oh, woe is me, I'm just going to die and, and, and it's going to be bad and Antichrist is going to come and get my head chopped off. That may be the case. But the Bible does say, pray that you be accounted worthy to escape all the things that are coming upon this earth in regard to the end times. You should be praying that. But more importantly than praying that, is having the faith to believe that God can protect you, no matter what's going to happen to you. Whether it's a horrific death, or whether He protects you. Can God still protect you through that? He's the only one that can give you the strength and the grace to get through something like that. He's the only one. You, but you have to have the faith to believe that He can do it. Because why? Because the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. can't please Him. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Okay, so, and then the Bible says faith, how do we get it? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, you need to be reading the King James Bible. I have the King James Bible constantly playing, like in my bedroom, all the time. At a low level, I mean, it's not like where I can't, but... I just think that from a, also from a uh, spiritual standpoint, uh, I don't believe evil entities like the King James Bible plain. So if you're having demonic problems in your house, play the King James Bible through your house. 
Things will change. Guaranteed. Because the Bible says, the word of God will not return void. But it will accomplish that which is set forth. Okay, so that's just a little rabbit trail side note there. But it is important. So, if we go further, uh, let's see here. So, let's see. So, Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, he looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. <laughs> Praise the Lord. What better thing could you possibly see? <laughs> oh, man. Verse 56, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. <laughs> Woo! This is enough to make a Presbyterian run the aisles. Oh, sorry, I haven't used that line yet, but anyway. Um... I used to say that in the old, that old Baptist church I went to. <laughs> Verse 57, And then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. It's almost, it's almost comical. I mean, listen, I don't feel sorry for Stephen. I don't believe he probably even felt a whole lot here, okay? He did what God called him to do. He once again indicted the Jewish nation. He gave them another opportunity to repent. Notice it said that Jesus, was. he looked steadfastly into heaven, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Why wasn't he sitting? Because the Bible says he sitteth at the right hand of God. Where he ever maketh intercession for the saints. Why was he standing? Now there's theories on this. But one of the theories is, is that had the Jews corporately accepted Jesus Christ at that time, had the Jews, when he said all this stuff, and let's say instead of gnashing their teeth and wanting to kill Stephen, they all went into the sackcloth and ashes mode, and repented and humbled themselves and realized and saw their sin, what if they had done that corporately? Maybe the reason Jesus was standing because he would have actually came back. I don't know. Maybe he would have done it. He knew they weren't going to do that. But it's almost as though Jesus Christ standing just a point to ponder. Again, we see through a glass darkly. I can't be totally dogmatic, but there are some theories out there that say that's the reason he was standing. It's an interesting point. Speculation, but interesting. So then it says, and then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran upon him. See, they stopped their ears. They didn't want to hear it. They don't want to hear truth. This is the earmark of so many people that are just content to live in deception. They will, they don't want to hear truth, man. And then what happened? And they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. It kind of what they did to Jesus. Cast him out of the city, and they crucified him. They cast Stephen out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, "Lord, uh, stoned Stephen, who was calling upon God, and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did when he died. Didn't he? Didn't he say pretty much the same thing? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's biblical. That'd be tough. But let me tell you something. This guy was so close with the Lord. So close with God. I don't think anything was a big... He was so full of the Holy Spirit, so unselfish, so meek before God, so bold to proclaim His holiness, that this wasn't a stretch for him. This was... He was... I'm not going to say he was on autopilot, but I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit was just like totally working through this man. Okay? And he said, after all of this, he said, lay not this sin to their charge. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Wow. Praise the Lord. That's one of my favorite parts of scripture.
let us all pray that if we are in that same similar situation, that we could be, you know, be that holy to do such a thing is what Stephen did. He was the first martyr for Jesus Christ, really. I mean, Jesus Christ was really the first martyr. But I'm talking about as far as his followers afterward. You want to say something? Okay, I just talked to Doug, and he said that he's also heard that the reason Jesus Christ was standing was to receive the first Christian martyr. <laughs> Man, that's awesome, too. Either way. <laughs> Man, that gets me fired up. Oh, that is awesome. So, if we go further, because we're going we're gonna to confirm this thing so many different ways scripturally. Uh, and I just really want to hit all the main scriptures. If we go to 2 Corinthians 3.7. I know, it makes me want to cry too, I know. 2 Corinthians 3.7. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses, for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away with. Now, I almost found this verse, I'm not going to say by accident, because I believe the Holy Spirit led me to it. But, it so fits in with this, that we're talking about. 2 Corinthians 3, 7, are you, are you there? Um, but if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses, for the glory of his countenance. Well, hold on, wasn't that what we were just talking about with Stephen? When you spend time with the Lord, it will change you in a positive way. You're a different person. Your countenance is different. I've particularly seen this in... I think I've seen the best... Quite honestly, I think I've seen the best manifestation of this in women. Women that, that uh, you know, spend a lot of time with the Lord, their countenance is different. Okay? And, I mean, I'm just not saying that for men, too, but I, I've just, I've seen some some examples of, of, and you know what I'm talking about. I mean, if you've seen somebody that, you know, like this, it's, it's, kind of, it's an awesome thing. It really is. So it says that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away with. Verse 13, And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was abolished. Now this is, this is in reference to Moses and the law. Okay? Which the law was ultimately abolished through the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean the law is evil. Doesn't mean the law is bad. I'm just saying it was ultimately, Jesus was a better covenant, as the Bible refers to him as. Verse 14, this is very important. But their minds were blinded. Oh, imagine that. Where have we heard this before? Like the whole teaching we've just been doing. But their minds were blinded. Who? The Jews. But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. It says right here that the Jews' minds were blinded. Even to the reading of the Old Testament. Because when I got to be a certain... Uh, level of knowledge as a Christian, I always marveled at the fact that how could a Jew, being a Jew, just reading his Old Testament, how could he, like, not totally emphatically believe that Jesus Christ fulfilled all of these... I mean, there's so many prophecies you read in the Old Testament. And Jesus fulfilled them perfectly to the letter. Man, there, there's a lot that they've got to ignore. Being, being a uh, even Torah observant Jew, as many times they refer to themselves. 
but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away with in Christ. See, when you get saved, Christ takes away that veil, and you'll see. You can see things that you didn't see before. He's, but he's the only one that can do it. Verse 15. But even under this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. He said it right here. Even to this day. And that was when he wrote it. Was, but it's still the same. It's true to this day. The veil is upon their heart. That's where the veil's at. Their heart is uncircumcised. There's a veil on it. The Bible says that with mouth, with your mouth, confession is made to Jesus Christ, but with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. Now, you've got to be careful about the heart, because the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But the heart is actually, ultimately, your heart has to yield to Jesus Christ at the same time in order to get saved. And that's in Romans, 9, verse, uh, verse, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, where it talks about that. So, nevertheless... When they, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now, this is in reference to when the Jews finally do turn to the Lord. Okay, and this is the one-third remnant that Zechariah talks about in chapter 8. When they finally return to the Lord, the veil is going to be taken away. But they're only going to turn to the Lord through great tribulation. But see, that's the way most of us end up getting saved. A lot of times, people don't... You know, people don't have some little happy primrose life and then all of a sudden they decide one day you get saved. It's usually out of adversity or possibly hitting rock bottom that you get saved. Why is that? Because that's humility. The Lord usually has to humble us in order for us to yield um, to salvation. Because any other way we might be operating in pride and not be capable of getting saved because we are in pride. So, verse... 17, now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Okay, now that doesn't mean we should use liberty for an occasion under the flesh, and that we should sin that grace may abound, okay, but there's a liberty in Christ that you didn't have in the law. Okay, and that's a whole other study. But if we go further, John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same in the beginning... Same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him not anything was not anything made that was made. Now you've heard me quote this verse before. Who is this Word? Well, we'll see. Verse 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Well, are you getting the clue now? Who it is? Verse 5. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. This is also in reference to this veil. This light shines in darkness, but the darkness couldn't comprehend it. They were in darkness. The Jews corporately were in darkness. And when he came, most of them didn't see this light for what it was. This is symbolic not only of the Jews that rejected Jesus, but also humanity's rejection of the Son of God, because when you're in darkness, you cannot see. Verse, if we jump to verse 10, John 1 verse 10, He was in the world, and the world was made by him. Jesus, do you know that Jesus Christ made everything? Well, it says that um, all things were made by Him. All things, the heavens, the moons, the stars, the universe, all things were made by Him. That's why, you know, when you maybe start to doubt things or faith or whatever, just realize He created everything. It's not a big stretch for the Lord Jesus Christ to help you out in a given respective situation, considering what He's already done. Now, 
that's just a matter of faith, and I'm not saying I'm the king of faith, but I'm just saying that, you know, these are things we can dwell on in scriptures we can dwell on to increase our faith. And we have to dwell on those anyway, because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, who was that? The Jews, and his own received him not. Oh, what does John Hagee do with that verse? Oh, me. Verse, John 1, verse 14, And the Word was made flesh. It says the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, obviously this is in reference to Jesus Christ. So His own received Him not and rejected and despised Him. They, being the highest Jewish religious leaders and the majority of the Jewish population, despised the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who is the Word, who was made flesh and dwelt among His own people, the Jews. In spite of the Scripture, or in light of this Scripture, presents the sober warning. Think about this. Proverbs 13, 13. Whoso despises the Word shall be destroyed. Woo! You ever think about that? Isn't that what they did? Isn't that what we all do when, when we reject Jesus Christ? I'm not holding them to a different, higher accountability than we hold ourselves. But the Bible refers to Jesus Christ in John chapter 1 as the Word. All things were made by Him. He came to His own and His own received Him not. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. But the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 13, well, what's that? 13, 13, it's like 13 is the number of rebellion. Proverbs is the book of wisdom. So Proverbs 13, 13, you want to, what is the highest rebellion that we can have in God's eyes? Ultimately, is despising the Word. Jesus Christ was the incarnate Word of God. The number 13 is the number for depravity and rebellion. What could be more depraved and rebellious than rejecting the very prophesied Savior who came to save their souls? Some things to think about here. Remember, there is written, there is the written Word of God preserved in English as the King James Bible and the incarnate Word of God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us as we just read. Who obviously is Jesus Christ. Now in Acts 10.34 it says God is no respecter of persons. Jesus fulfilled over 30 prophecies when he allowed himself to be murdered by men. These prophecies were written hundreds to thousands of years earlier and were just the prophecies regarding his murder. Not to mention the hundreds of others he fulfilled. The odds of all these prophecies being fulfilled are beyond astronomical. So, there's in the back of... Chick has a track called Creator or Liar. And at the back of this track, it gives you all the prophecies. Or maybe it's at the start. Jesus, the Creator, fulfilled over 30 prophecies when he allowed himself to be murdered by man. And it gives the prophecy, and then it gives the fulfillment. I'm, I don't have time to go through them all, but, you know, we talked about this, I believe, last week. As far as the Jews go, regarding the end times, consider Romans 11:25 through 28 For I would not, brethren, that ye be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. Now, this is the verse I've kept quoting. Romans 11, verses 25 through 28. Okay, so let's, see, let's read it again. For I would not, brethren, that ye be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Sion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant, covenant unto them, and I will take away their sins. As concerning the gospel... 
As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. So this is a verse I'll give to somebody that says, oh, all these Jews are bad. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't want to do that either. The Bible also makes reference to in Romans where it says that they are the natural branches and we are like a wild olive branch grafted in. And we're not supposed to boast against the natural branches because if God could take them away, they could, He could take us away too. Remember, it also says in John 15, it says that um, I am the vine, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. In me you can bear great fruit, but without me you can do nothing. And apart from me, you're going to wither and die and you're going to be cast into the fire. Well, that doesn't sound too good. The point is, is stay in Jesus Christ. Don't ever think that you're doing this in and of yourself. Okay? He is the vine that sustains our life as a Christian. Through the Holy Spirit. So, now, when it says that, and so all Israel shall be saved in this verse, it would be easy to, to just jump to the conclusion, not looking at other, in the light of other scriptures, and saying, oh, well, all Israel is going to be saved and that's it. Every one of them. Well, no, whoa, whoa. In Zechariah 8, which we just talked about. Um, let me just read that again. Zechariah 8. Or, I'm sorry, Zechariah 13, verse 8. And it shall come to pass, that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die. But the third part shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined. He's going to do this through tribulation. Because it's never fun to go through the refiner's fire. Trust me, it is not fun. It is very unfun. But it has to be done with most people in order to purify them, in order to make them suitable vessels fit for the master's use, as the Bible talks about. And I will try them as gold is tried. Well, all this implies heat, fire, silver, you know, try them as gold is tried. And... They shall call upon my name, when? After they've been tried, after they've been refined. They shall call upon my name and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. Well, praise the Lord. But this is the one-third remnant that is going to be saved. And at that point, that probably is going to be all of Israel. Probably the rest of them are going to be dead. Because it said the two-thirds are going to die. Well, are they going to die after the one-third remnant wakes up? No, they're probably going to die before that. And not only that, a lot of Israel is not are not even Jews. There's a lot of there's a lot of speculation on a lot of the people that are actually in Israel aren't really even Jews. That's a whole other study. And I don't really want to even go down that rabbit trail. I'm going to let God separate them. Okay? But then there then there's the Bible verse that say, that talks about they say that they're Jews but they're they're, they're of the synagogue of Satan. They want to be applied or, or called Jews either. So, bear those scriptures in mind when you read that verse. Just a little side note there. So, and I'm glad we touched on that point, because that's very, very important in order to bring balance to this teaching. So, Israel's blindness will change in the near future when the fullness of the Gentiles come in. This will most likely coincide with the start of the tribulation to the end of the tribulation, where the emphasis will shift more back to the Jews, as the book of Re Revelation confirms below. Now, this is an email exchange I had with somebody, and this kind of relates to this, so I'm going to get into this quickly. Um, they uh, had emailed me and asked me about the 12 tribes of Israel. And there's a lot of people, I've gotten into debates with people, that said, oh, it's all spiritual. See, those, those bad old Jews, they don't, this doesn't really apply. 
Well, kind of funny, because in Revelation, it does really seem like the emphasis is shifting back more to the Jewish people. And this is just one of the parts where it does that. Okay? So, um, let's just read this. I, I, my, my answer to this person was, yes, the Bible is clear that if you are Christ, if you are Christ, you are and saved, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Romans 14.16 says, Therefore it is of faith that you that it might be by grace to the end of the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that which is faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Galatians 3.16 says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not into seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. Galatians 3.29, and this is really the crux of this, If ye be Christ, so if you're saved, if you are Jesus Christ's child, okay, child of God, if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. That says it all right there. Okay, I mean, the Bible talks about, and we're going to read those verses, where, where in God's eyes, in this current dispensation, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. But you're either Christ or you're not Christ. Okay? So again, this whole thing about this ethnic salvation, which we'll talk about more, is, is bogus. Okay? It does not apply. It, it never applied. The Jews never got a get-out-of-jail-free card pass like they have a monopoly. It never happened. Even then they had to keep the law. And they had to be righteous in the Lord Jesus Christ's eyes. But anyway, um, so... That was one part of the question she asked. But the other part was, but now notice below in the verses that we're going to talk about, that the twelve tribes of Israel are mentioned specifically by name during the tribulation. Now, I, I think, what is it? Is it Jehovah Witnesses? They believe that, you know, their highest ones are the, are the 144,000. And there's other cults that believe that. And there's other cults that believe that the 144,000 aren't Jews, that they're the best of the best Christians, and, and we're... We're the spiritual Jews now. We've usurped their this position. And, you know, this is insane. This is insane, what they're, what they're doing. Why would they do such a thing? Pride. They want that preeminent position, evidently. It's not theirs to have. Unless they biblically qualify. So let's look now, what is the biblical qualifications for the 144,000 talked about during the tribulation? It's pretty simple. Pretty straightforward. The twelve tribes of Israel are mentioned specifically by name during the tribulation and are identified as Jewish male virgins. Twelve thousand from each tribe. In Revelation 7, 3-8 and Revelation 14, 1-4. So this could not apply to Christians that did not meet these specific criteria. Now there's a lot of people that believe the book of Revelation is a totally symbolic book and that means they can throw whatever twist they want to throw into it. I had a guy, I got in a big debate the other day that he believed that the mark of the beast was purely symbolic and it had to do with sin in our lives. And he was real dogmatic and, and, and got pretty heated between him and I. And the, the bottom line is I said, you know, whatever this man-made philosophy you've come up with, which I've actually seen a lot of people apply this. Did you say it was the Seventh-day Adventists that believe that, maybe? or Yeah, there are some, that, there are some in certain religious circles that believe that the mark of the beast is totally symbolic. Do you realize that if you go around and teach that, it says if you receive a mark in your right hand or your forehead and, and, and you know, worship the beast in the name, 
But the right hand of the Mark forehead is going to be that you can buy or sell. How are you going to spiritualize that away and say, well, what is it that you, you take the Mark through something you do, some action? How are you going to buy and sell that way? There's got to be some device in you that can monitor transactions. And the only thing that would really coincide with that is some type of implantable microchip, probably in concert with some type of tattoo externally as well, that could identify you as a follower of the beast. Okay? And now again, we're not there yet. But I'm just saying, I've done, whole, I've done two whole studies on the mark of the beast that you can go up and reference, and I believe I have a PDF with those as well. So, this is another thing people try to spiritualize away. Oh, this is all symbolic. It's not really the true child. Oh, really? Well, you've just put yourself in God's position. You've put yourself above the Word of God as a judge over the Word of God, and, and evidently, you think the Word of God is whatever you will it to be, or whatever your little whim is on that day. Do you realize you're in a very dangerous position if you do such a thing? I mean, come on! Revelation 7.3 says, Saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Now, these particular 144,000 are sealed in their foreheads. Many people that take the mark of the beast will either get it in their forehead or the right hand. Okay, it's just kind of a, you know, thing there, interesting point. Revelation 7, 4. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And they were sealed in 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. It says specifically Israel. It doesn't say the children of Abraham. That would be a little more nebulous if that was said. Because you could say, oh, well, we're the children of Abraham. But it says here, the children of Israel. It gives you a specific country. These are the Jews, okay? And it goes even further and more emphatically by saying in Revelation 7, 5, through the rest of these verses, And of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. And of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. And of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. And so on and so on and so on. The only tribe this doesn't mention is Dan. That's a whole other study. Well, I don't have time to get into that right now, but someday hopefully I will. And then, yeah, that Dan study is an interesting one. I think I've got into that before, though. Um, so it's probably up in one of my teachings. What I'm trying to do with these teachings now is break them up into specific topics, because before it was more of a hodgepodge of everything. And I just got convicted I really needed to kind of stay on track more with these studies. Um, Revelation 14.1 says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Sion, and with him an hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. This is another part of the Bible. And I heard a voice from heaven, as of the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. That's a little tongue twisty. And next verse. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne, and before the four beasts, and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Well, they, yeah, hey, this is a preeminent position. I guess I could see how if you were in a cult, you'd want to be one of them. But it doesn't matter. Because you have to biblically qualify. And here's the biblical qualification. Not only do you have to be of the true tribe of Israel, and you have to be of a specific tribe of the tribe of Israel, but these are they which have, were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. So, what happened is, is this is 144,000 of Israel, of 12,000 from each tribe, that had never, they were virgins, they had never been with a woman. These are they which follow the Lamb of God, whithersoever he goeth. 
These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. There you go. Jewish male virgins of a specific tribe. Gotta be that way. And guess what? If you think about it, as much as I believe we're on the cusp of the tribulation, all of these 144,000, they're, they're here right now. I'd like to know where they're hanging out. I mean, I don't know. I mean, are they are they are they sequestered somewhere? I mean, are they are they just within individual families that are going to be called out? The most likely that's the case. But it's always intrigued me. Just like we know the Antichrist is walking around right now, it's got to be okay. These hundred forty four thousand are too. I know they're going to put me to shame. <laughs> I mean, man, Woo. wow. So anyway, um. Now, we're going back to the original article now, and I, oh boy, this is, I know this is taking a long time to get through all this. Um, I don't know how much I'm going to get through today. I'm going to go ahead and break right now, and then we'll come back possibly for part three here.